Are you still walking along the path to find out what your life's mission is? It may be closer than you think. Welcome to Mission Possible Program with your host, Carol Ann Fernandez. Everyone has a true calling. Join us now and find yours. Now, here is Carol Ann Fernandez. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mission Possible Program. I'm your host, Carol Ann Fernandez, and the author of the book, Mission Possible, How to Step into Your True Calling. I hope everyone is safe and healthy. Joining me today is my guest co-host, Lynn Fisher. She has a passion for art, nature, and travel has been the cornerstone of her journey. Through a rich and diverse career in the arts, she has witnessed the power that art brings to empower and heal. Lynn's fascination for textiles blossomed into a long-standing career in home furnishings, where she worked with notable designers, including Raymond Waits. A love of Mickey Mouse led her to a successful 10-year career at the Walt Disney Company. As a creative director in the Consumer Products Division, she spearheaded innovative design programs that brought new energy to licensed brands. Driven by a desire to give back, Lynn later stepped into the nonprofit arena, where she facilitated art workshops to survivors impacted by trauma and violence. She has devoted herself to making a difference and opening people's hearts to their greater potential. Lynn is an adventurer at heart and has traveled throughout the world in search of greater inspiration and connection. She is excited to share the wisdom she has learned along the way. Welcome, Lynn Fisher. Hello, Carol Ann. It's such a blessing to be here with you again today on this beautiful sunny day in California. Yeah, here we are amidst this pandemic. So we're still washing the hands, keeping social distance and sheltering in place. So last week I shared a poem that really touched me deeply and After that, I was thinking to myself, I would really love another poem to share. I didn't mention it to anyone, and literally the next day, someone who I least expected it from sent me a poem. So I wanted to share that again today. And the poem is by Kathleen O'Meara, and it is titled, And People Stayed Home, and this was written in 1869. And people stayed home. And people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played and learned new ways of being and stopped and listened deeper. Someone meditated. Someone prayed. Someone danced, someone met their shadow, and people began to think differently, and people healed. And in the absence of people who lived in ignorant ways, dangerous, meaningless, and heartless, even the earth began to heal. And when the danger ended and people found each other, grieved for the dead people, And they made new choices and dreamed of new visions and created new ways of life and completely healed the earth just as they were healed themselves. 
a poem by Kathleen O'Meara, and people stayed home. And that, Lynn, was written in 1869, and it's so apropos today. I can't believe it. Wow. Again, I'm so touched. It's another beautiful poem, and thank you so much for sharing. Um, Her words really resonate with me, especially the words about people listening deeper and people finding each other and learning new ways of being. Uh, It's so beautiful to see what's happening and the creative ways people are connecting these days. It feels to me like the like in some way the walls are coming down and we're coming together in our vulnerability and humanity, taking time to pause, to go deeper. And for me, it's about really making moments count. And what I'm finding in my day-to-day, I'm experiencing more authentic and real connections, talking to garbage collectors, trash collectors, the gardeners, and everybody that I encounter um, on the street in my walks with my with my with my um, puppy Bambi the other day in in an apartment building on my block people were out on their separate balconies one person was playing music and everyone else was dancing as people walked by they started dancing too it really felt um, like the neighborhood was alive for the first time Um, yeah it was really beautiful because my neighborhood is usually so quiet and it was just nice to hear the the people 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 alive. Um, And as you know, it's been a rich time for me personally. I had a birthday this week and initially had a lot of trepidation about it being at home. Um, There were wonderful moments to begin with where I was connecting with friends on the phone and I even called friends who didn't know it was my birthday to celebrate with them, something I've never, never done before, but I just wanted to reach out. Um, But at one point during the day, I was looking out the picture window in my living room, and a lot of memories started pouring in, memories of looking out of the picture window in my childhood home and kids coming to my birthday party with balloons and presents. I could really envision that. And for the first time since I felt self-isolated, I really was experiencing a sense of melancholy and a longing to have some people time, especially on my birthday. And I didn't know what to do with it, but I just sat with it. And within an hour, just out of the blue, my neighbor Andrew called and said he was picking up pizza from our favorite neighborhood restaurant. And when he arrived at home, when he drove his car down the driveway, I happened to be outside with my Chihuahua Bambi. And serendipitously, you... Carol Ann, drove up with a piece of cake and a candle. And Andrew came walking over to the car with his pizza in hand to say hello and immediately jumped back and with a big smile said social distancing. At the same time, you're trying to light the candle and sing happy birthday. And Bambi, my dog, was in my arms wiggling because she just wanted to say hi to everybody. And it was such a funny moment. Um, But it was so touching to see everyone coming together in in the kind of the preciousness of the times. And it turns out 
later, my, my neighbor, Andrew, that, that he had gone to Trader Joe's and waited in line to get ice cream. He actually set up a table on our outside landing with a tablecloth. And, of course, we practiced social distancing because he set the tables six, six feet apart. He even took photos of our little dinner party. And I could really feel the love all around. And it turned out to be one of my best birthdays ever. So many of my birthdays just whizzed by. And this one I'll never forget. And the last thing I just wanted to share was that, um, you know, just some awareness that I've gotten is about how, what a crazy time this is. And I'm really aware that people are grieving and people are scared and people are also waking up. It's all of it, all of it happening at, at once. Um, and as strange as it is for me and everyone that I talk to, I'm becoming more aware that there's something bigger and more profound happening. And even though we may feel far apart, in many ways we're closer than ever. And it feels like we're finally able to be still and breathe, that the earth, that the earth can finally breathe. And I truly believe the potential for healing is so much greater than we know. And I've experienced that myself, and I just wanted to put that out there. Well, I loved your Andrew story. I just thought that was so precious that he did that and was so thoughtful and and picked your favorite ice cream and stood in line. And mm-hmm. and to me, it was a funny moment because I was so desperately trying to light some candles and I, I had three boxes of matches and none of them were working and you you were walking towards the car and <laughs> so it was a funny, precious, strange moment in these unprecedented times. But uh, glad to be able to at least celebrate a tiny moment with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it meant a lot. Thank you. And and I concur with you, Lynn. I think even though, you know, this is an incredibly difficult and unprecedented time, I also think that times like this offer us humanity, transformative opportunities for the better for all of us. And we are all in this together. And again, like you said, you know, people are scared, there's a lot going on, and it's incredibly challenging. And at the same time, I'm also still so moved to tears by the beautiful little things that people are doing for each other. So I just wanted to share a couple of those stories. One was a florist in Massachusetts and who had to close her store due to the state-mandated close. And a mystery man purchased all the flowers in her shop and then sent 10 large bouquets delivered anonymously to people in town. I thought, wow, that is so sweet. And then last week in the UK, and I have a lot of family in the UK, there was a nationwide applause. Millions of people stood at their front doors and open windows and gardens on balconies to cheer in gratitude for the doctors and nurses, the healthcare workers, and everyone on the front line of the, this coronavirus pandemic. And I just thought that was so precious as well. Mm, so beautiful. It's so beautiful to see how people are stepping up during this time in the midst of everything that's going on. And, you know, I just have a really sweet story, too. A, a really dear friend of mine works as a fiber arts director in an organization that supports adults with developmental disabilities. And the program is currently closed, and she's at home but wants to contribute. So what she's doing is using her skills, her her sewing skills, and she's sewing masks for 
family and friends to donate. And it's, it's so cute because she's using all these really brightly colored, bold novelty, novelty fabrics with animals, flowers, peace signs, you know, the sky's the limit. And I was talking to the other, the, the other day and she said her wish is not only to give people an opportunity to feel a little safer, but also to feel a little silly during this challenging time. And it was just so sweet. And there's so many stories, up, up, so many uplifting stories like that that are really touching touching my heart. Um, so yeah, That is so incredibly that. sweet. I was also looking to do that. So I haven't managed to do it yet, but I was um, learning about how to make these masks. But that is incredibly sweet and precious and kind. Yeah, and, and I just yeah, I just wanted to on that note say thank you to the doctors, nurses, all the healthcare workers, all the first responders who are putting their lives on the line, you know, for the truck drivers, the grocery store clerks who continue to stock our groceries, the police officers, firefighters, sanitation workers who can continue to pick up our trash, the male men and women who continue to de- deliver our mail, and so many more. We owe them a tremendous debt of gratitude. Oh, yes, and I occur with that. And I also wanted to, I don't know, I've also been very touched by seeing on on the TV about all the people that have lost their lives and all the loved ones that are grieving. And I just also want to let them know that we're with them. And it's it's such a hard time, but this is really a time for all of us to be together. And I just really want to just, you know, put that into the mix because that's that's part of what's going on as well is our need to just have more understanding and compassion for everything that's going on. So, yeah, um, yeah so... Beautiful. So, I'm so glad you shared that. Yeah, because it's just, it's something that I think, um, you know, we're all trying to be positive, but there's all that going on that people are really grieving and they need us too. So I just wanted to just mention that. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about, um, mission, uh, why we're here today. And last week, um, you began to talk about how one can discover their mission. We're going to continue to focus on that topic this week. Uh, you started off last week by giving your perspective on ways people get initiated to their mission. For those who may be joining us for the first time or missed last week, can you quickly review what you mean by initiation? Yes. So briefly, from my perspective, from my research, there are seven stages to one's mission. So from my perspective, it's a process. And the first stage in that process is an initiation. And very simply put, an initiation is a defining moment that brings one's mission into focus. Okay, great. That's perfect. And then just uh, to review a little bit more, you then went on to talk about one of the four ways that people get initiated. Um, it's an, And you called it an inspired idea, um, which is, if I remember correctly, it was a sudden download, a spark of intuition, an aha moment. It could be a gentle whisper of an inner voice um, that's an answer to your prayer. 
but it's something that makes itself known and stays with you no matter what. Can you share a bit more about that? Yeah, so one of the things I wanted to say about the inspired moment is that when a person gets a, a download, they are the steward of that idea. That download and that idea is specific to you and you have everything it takes to pull it off or it would not be downloaded to you. So I just want people to understand that that idea is specific, specific to them. Mm. Well, thank you. That's beautiful. Okay, so now can you tell us about a second way that people can get initiated to their mission? So the second way that, and this is what I saw in my research, that people get initiated is what I call an extreme fascination. So basically a person becomes completely captivated by a specific subject, an object, a cause, or ability, the moment he or she comes in contact with it. And the heightened interest that is suddenly stirred within them compels and propels the person to continue down the emerging path. So as an example, in one of my prior shows, I was talking about Jonathan Adler, who presides over a multi-million dollar design empire. But that all began with Jonathan creating pottery pieces, right? That's his passion. And Jonathan, as an example, he was 12 years old. He had gone to summer camp. And that's when he first encountered a potter's wheel. And he took to it immediately. He was captivated by the potter's wheel, captivated by clay. And then within a year, he convinces his parents to buy him a potter's wheel and a kiln. And then from, for about four years during his entire adolescence, he basically spent it in the family's basement throwing pots. So that's the reason. That's an example. And that's the reason why I call it an extreme fascination because it stays with you forever. Right. It's not a passing fancy. So as an example with Jonathan Adler, he didn't go to summer camp and, you know, create a few pots, make a few pottery pieces and then decide to do something else. Once he came in touch with that clay, that was it. He was hooked. So that is what I mean by an extreme fascination. And for myself, I, too, had an extreme, I I still have an extreme fascination with mission and purpose. That has been with me since I was six years old, and it's something that hasn't gone away as much as I try sometimes, but it's still there, it still still stays with me. Mm. Well, thank you for for, um, that clear explanation, and I'd love it if you could give some more examples of um, people who have been called by uh, extreme fascination. Yeah, and I think these examples help us to understand and, 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 and to inspire us, so I'm happy um, to do that. So one of the examples is uh, Quincy Jones, and I wanted to, Quincy Jones, I think most of us know, is an icon in the entertainment music industry, and this is a, a, a little bit of a personal story for me. But I had been to Quincy Jones's house a few times for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. 
And it was always such a warm, uh, loving environment where he has all his kids and grandkids, ex-wives, friends, everyone under one roof. And he just has this incredible feast of food. And I realized one day when I was there that while I knew him to be an icon, I really didn't know his story. And then this is several days after one of those events, I had a pile of biographies that I was going through as part of my research for my book. And I literally closed my eyes and I just reached into the pile and I pulled out a book. And the book that came forward was none other than Q, which was his autobiography. And so I started reading the book and basically Quincy's mother had been institutionalized when he was a child. And as a child, he and his brother really didn't know, you know, what had transpired. And then eventually his father takes his two young boys to his mother's house. So Quincy Jones was at his paternal grandmother's house. And she was a former slave. She was born a slave and she used African words and she lived in a shack by the Ohio River. And there was no electricity. They drew their water from a well in her backyard. They got heat from a black hole stove. They slept in the kitchen on a cot. They wore socks on their hands and feet so the rats wouldn't nibble on their fingers and toes. And they had grits for breakfast. There was no lunch. And dinner was whatever his grandmother could find and fry. And she would tell the boys to go to the river and catch some rats. And she told them that the more the rats wiggled their tails, the tastier they were. So the boys would catch the biggest ones and put them in burlap sacks. And Lynn, when I read that, I felt as though someone, it was a strange sensation in my heart. It's as though someone had punched me in the heart and tears started streaming down my face. Because I had no idea that that was his story. You know, there was I in his beautiful home with this incredible feast and his generosity of spirit to all of us, but having no idea what he went through as a little boy, right? Mm. So, and, that, and that gives us context for him. So a little later, and I get emotional when I tell that because I really feel it. Um, mm. A little later on, he, he was about 10 years old at the time, and he and his brother and his father, you know, collected them, and, and, and he, his father, his stepmother, and the family moved to Washington. And at that time, Quincy Jones wasn't aware of his musical ability, and he and his friends, he said, were mischievous, and they would break into the local armory at night and fill up on lemon meringue pies and ice cream. And one day he breaks into the superintendent's office, which has a tiny stage and a little upright piano. And he's about to close the door and something, his intuition tells him to not to. And so he walks over to the piano. He pauses. He stares at it. And then he tinkles with it for a moment. And he says that he recalls in every cell, he says, in every cell in my body, Every cell in my body said, this is what you are going to do for the rest of your life. And he said, that's where I began to find peace. I knew it was for me forever. 
right? So he was suddenly in that moment captivated completely by music. And, and he didn't fully understand it. And sometimes when we are captivated with this extreme fascination, we might not know the potentiality that it holds for us, but it is there. And that was the single, that was a moment that changed the trajectory of his life. So on the Tavis Smiley show, he talked about, Quincy talked about running to and from gangs. He saw people being killed in front of him. He had a scar over one of his eyes with someone trying to harm him. And with this, the advent of this music coming in touch, being having this extreme fascination with music, he threw himself when he went to school into music and he joined the school choir and band he um learned to play all kinds of instruments like he just threw himself into music and he learned the drums the tuba the baritone horn french horn the alto horn you know and he said it hit me like a ton of bricks everything just came out so he leaned into his passion and as a result, he hasn't. He had an extraordinary and has an extraordinary life, right? So these are a few of his uh, accomplishments. He worked as an arranger for music with such greats as Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, Ray Charles, to name a few. As a musician, he created his own albums. He was an actor. He was a prolific composer of television and film. He produced the highest-selling album of all time, Michael Jackson's Thriller. He, his production company, in collaboration with NBC, produced The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He has had a record 79 Grammy Award nominations and 27 Grammy wins. And he's got numerous uh, awards. And he was also, the, in 1971, the first African-American to be named musical director, conductor of the Academy Awards. So he was inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So beside all of his, his successes in music, he also, you know, broke the, the racial barriers. And that's also a part of his contribution. So we are actually coming to, we're nearing our break. So we will take the short break and then I will catch you on the other end of it, Lynn. Mm-hmm. So. You are listening to the Mission Possible program on voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel. I'm your host, Carol Ann Fernandez, in conversation with Lynn Fisher, my guest host, about discovering your mission and purpose. And we are going to take a short break. on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment are you tired of your job do you feel like you were meant for more would you like to live life on your terms you can when you actualize your true calling you can be financially sustainable you can live a meaningful life you can love what you do even make a difference and leave a luminous legacy Drawing from over a decade's worth of research, her immense wisdom and cross-cultural life experience, Carol Ann guides, encourages, and inspires individuals to awaken to their purpose and actualize their life's mission. For those seeking to deepen their understanding and learn more, please visit carolann.global. 
For information about programs, coaching, and local workshops, or to purchase her book, Mission Possible, A Guide to Discovering Your True Calling, or to invite Carol Ann to speak at your event, please visit carolann.global. Again, that's carolann.global. Exploring the Enneagram with Dr. E is an amazing way to help you be you. Join host Dr. Deborah Egerton as she helps you to see how exploring the Enneagram helps you understand why you do the things you do. Understanding yourself can strengthen relationships, offer new perspectives, and help you live the life you were intended to live. You'll look at different aspects of your life in a whole new light. Exploring the Enneagram with Dr. E is broadcast live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Mission Possible Program. To reach Carol Ann Fernandez or her guest on today's program, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd like to send an email, the email address is radiomissionpossible at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Mission Possible program. I'm your host, Carol Ann Fernandez, in conversation with Lynn Fisher, my guest host. And we are discussing one of the four ways you will be initiated to your calling, as outlined in my book, Mission Possible, How to Step into Your True Calling. So, Lynn, I just went through that story about Quincy Jones and his extreme fascination and what came forth in terms of him leaning into his passion for music and the trajectory that it took him on. Wow, what a story. I had no idea. I mean, you don't know until you hear it, and it's so inspiring. I don't even know what to say. It's like I want to sit with that story because it's, it's, it's actually a, a little, um, it's touching. It's also very mind-boggling. But the one thing that that I love about it is when you talk about with extreme fascination how it grabs hold and it doesn't let go, how he found it out of the blue or just found it, and then he certainly is someone who actually never let go. And you can see from everything that he's done for music, um, and he's just a really incredible, inspiring man. So would you it was I was just going to say it was re- it's really incredible that he leaned into it, you know um, he got the guidance he, he felt that extreme fascination and he leaned into it. He didn't distract himself or get you know full around or play or whatever. you know he really leaned into that really really um, took on that um, intuition, that guidance and, uh, and and that was it. so that's really that is really inspiring. Yeah, and look how it's supported and um, inspired us all. It's really beautiful. So would you be willing to tell another story, um, share another story? Yes, indeed. So the second example of extreme fascination is someone by the name of Lynn Donahue. And Lynn was the third of five children in a broken home 
raised in a working class neighborhood in Massachusetts, and this was in the 1970s. So at the age of 13, she took her first drink. That led her to quaaludes, which led her to pot, which led her to heroin. And then at the ripe old age of 15, she dropped out of high school. She spent about 30 days in jail on a Florida road trip for stealing peanut butter. And then by the age of 16, she was living out of her car. So a year later, her father sees her on the streets and offers her a bartending job at his saloon. And although she was grateful for the job, she, she dreamt of a better future. And then she ends up opting for her voluntary termination when the business slowed down so that the other two bartenders who had families could keep their jobs. So she was visiting the unemployment office. And then one day she discovers a brick masonry course. She enrolls in it and, and completes it. And she, and it forever changes her life, right? She gets completely captivated with bricks. So she said, it, right, it, you know, it's so, it's so unusual. What was that? No, I, it's just, I, I, I love it. Keep going. <laughs> I know, it's very it just unusual. Made me, it, just, it, just, it just made me laugh because it's just, uh, I understand that, you know, I understand <laughs> that. Being an artist, I understand being captivated by something that people think, what the hell? But I, so keep going. This is great. Yes, she said. She said it was love at first sight, which sounds ridiculous, but that's sort of the way it I it felt. She said I had fallen in love with bricks, and I wanted more than anything to become a bricklayer. I liked the rhythm of the work and knew I had a knack. With a lot of practice, I would become really good at it or I could become really good at it. I even started dreaming about building skyscrapers and and brick walls. And that went on for miles. And she said, I never had a sense of direction, much less a dream. But now I had a goal and a dream. And yeah, I hope to make a lot of money and be proud of myself. So she became completely captivated by bricks. She has an extreme fascination with bricks. And she delves into her passion for bricks and and learns the trade. But she goes through many challenges because it is a male-dominated field. And she never realized that. You know, She had never given that part of it any thought. So she attempts to get an apprenticeship position. And she attempts to join her local union. But she's declined. So this feisty woman then makes a list of mason contractor companies in her area. And she starts at 6 a.m. in the morning and visits each one of them trying to get an apprenticeship. But still the door is closed, right? They're, they're not giving that to her. So she starts offering her brick-laying services to the bar customers from her previous job. And after two years... She becomes the first woman to gain entry into the Brick Layers Local Union 39. And, and even though she got in, as the only woman on job sites, she endured harassment, she endured discrimination, rejection, obscenities, hostile comments, pranks, 
her stares from her coworkers. And she said like one of her worst experiences was being locked in a porta potty for an hour. So these are all the things that she endured, but she never quit. And she worked long hours, which even included lifting 50 pound blocks. And then to further her skills, she would build and unbuild a brick wall in her basement for a year. So this is what she did with that extreme fascination. And the results of all of that is that she eventually goes on to create her own company called Argus Construction. Here's the irony. She ends up hiring many of her male detractors. I love that. Mm. And she ended up growing her company to a multi-million dollar operation before the age of 40. And then she also became a masonry consultant and continued to blaze a trail in that male-dominated field. And she is now a leadership and sales motivator. She travels nationally and speaks on topics about perseverance and overcoming obstacles. She has a book out. And um, this is what she has done with her life. And that came from this extreme fascination with bricks. It is absolutely amazing. What a great story. I love that story because it, it just shows that it doesn't have to be something big. It's just a brick, right. and I love that. Uh, it's just a beautiful story. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I love all your stories. Give, you know, give such a good picture of the, how unique everybody is in their expression. Yes. I wanted to add a little thing. Just like with Quincy, he was also evolving, um, you know, he was breaking racial barriers. Well, she's also she breaking barriers like in that field, right? So that's also has been a part of their mission, not only, you know, all the other um, successes they've had with it, but also breaking some of those barriers and evolving us as a humanity. That's part of their contribution. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Um, these are all, these are both such powerful stories of people who have embraced their missions and transcended challenges and challenges in actualizing them you know we can also we can so often forget or don't realize what people have gone through on their journeys it can be so easy to discount them or judge them along the way is there anything more you can share about that yeah so you know from my perspective again you know we sometimes just see the end result of people's successes like a Quincy Jones, right? But we often don't realize what people have endured. And challenges are what humanity has in common. Challenges aren't exclusive to, to me or you. We've all gone through challenges in different ways. So we often judge people and are unaware of, again, what they have gone through. And we sometimes discount people as having little to no value or worse that they won't amount to much but that isn't true and these stories are, are, are for me from my perspective are a reminder not to judge people not to discount people not to give up on people because you never know when someone's greatness is going to kick in and you know and I'm reminded of, of both Quincy Jones and uh, Oprah Winfrey when Quincy was running to and from gangs as an example, you know, if we were to freeze frame that moment, you know, it'd be easy for people to discount or make judgments about that little kid, not recognizing what he had 
been through. And yet, look at what he he ended up doing with his life. And the same thing is true of Oprah. When she was um, uh, abused, she went through sexual abuse and was acting out. And again, it would be easy to just freeze frame her in that moment and, and may judge. But again, look what extraordinary things she has done. So I think it's just a reminder for us to just... And I think it also ties into what we were talking about at the beginning of the show is about really connecting with each other authentically, right, and acknowledging those parts. Mm, I really appreciate you sharing that because for me it's just, it is a powerful reminder to celebrate and be a champion for each other um, because we're all on such a unique and precious journey and people are really finding their own way and it's truly inspiring to witness people who have written risen above we can really learn from them so i just appreciate just taking the time to be able to see the brilliance and the potential of who we all are you know as humans and and by learning and appreciating each other's journeys so I thank you again for that story. And I'm wondering, I know we don't have too much time, but I was wondering if there's one other story you can share. Yeah, so the next one I'd like to share is about Craig Kielberger. And Craig was 12 years old. He was having a bowl of cereal one morning, and he was about to dive into the daily newspaper in search of his favorite comic strips when he sees uh, the headlines on the front page and it said battle child laborer boy 12 murdered and you know Craig was the same age and the story is about a boy named Iqbal Masi and he lived in Islamabad Pakistan and was sold into slavery for less than $16 at the age of four And for the next six years of his life, he was shackled to a carpet weaving loom and worked for 12 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week, tying tiny knots hour after hour for less than $1 a month. And after being rescued at the age of 10, Iqbal Masai became an activist and he started speaking up about the horrors of child labor. And then one Sunday while he's riding his bike with a couple of his friends, He was shot dead, and it is believed that his murder was carried out by the angry members of the carpet industry who had made repeated threats to silence him. So Craig Kielberger reads that story. He's 12 years old. He is completely captivated by that story, can't get it off his mind. And he couldn't talk to his older brother, Mark, who is away at college. So this kid, this kid who is 12 years old, goes off to the local library and reads everything he can about child labor. And he said he left the library bewildered and angry. And then on his way to school, he would look at the crinkled newspaper clipping about Iqbal, Iqbal Masai. And even though he wasn't into public speaking, that wasn't his thing, he asked his teacher one day if he could speak to his class about the plight of child laborers. So he's sharing statistics and a copy of the newspaper article, and he had no idea what the response would be at the end of his speech. And um, he asks for volunteers 
to help them advocate for the children's rights. And immediately, 11 classmates said yes. And so they all got together and they named themselves the 12 12-year-olds. And they began to take further action. Isn't that precious? 12-year-olds. Wow. That's really great. Yeah. And they began to take action. They started making phone calls and writing letters, right? So from that extreme fascination that Craig Kielberger had, that led to the formation of a nonprofit organization called Free the Children. And it's the world's largest network of children helping children. And they do it through education, alternative income, and peace building. Craig Kielberger traveled to over 70 countries advocating for children's rights. Free the Children opened over 100 rehabilitation centers that took care of exploited children in developing regions. They built over 650 schools and uh, schoolrooms in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and they were providing education for children in 16 countries. These kids, it's Craig and his brother, they've done amazing things. Well, they're actually not kids anymore, but they've done amazing work, and it just continues to grow. And he also has, both he and his brother have uh, received many awards for the amazing, amazing work that they are doing. And they are social entrepreneurs, and this whole thing that started from this extreme fascination has now evolved into the we movement so if anyone is interested in learning more about them they can go to wecharity.org and you can support them and donate or volunteer etc so that's again just another powerful story of a kid who was completely captivated he had an extreme fascination for that story and just could not let go of it and this is what came. This was the result of that extreme fascination. Hmm. Wow, that's really, that's really inspiring. And, you know, one thing that I just, uh, that just came to mind was in all the stories you shared in the last couple of weeks that uh, I know a couple of weeks ago we talked about is there a shelf life um, and that is it ever too late um, to uh, experience or express your your find your actualize your mission, and I love hearing all these examples because it really shows an example that it's never too early or it's never too late. That when it grabs hold, it grabs hold, and that I love. I love hearing the story about how these kids, you know, how young he was, and yeah. he just read something and heard a story, and that's in contrast to someone who's who you talked about in the beginning, who was, what was she, in her 80s? Or I, I, or I don't oh, remember exactly. She was 60. She was in her 60s. 60, when in her 60s, that she, she, um, she found her, her way as well. So, uh, again, another, another great example. Um, thank, you for, thank you for sharing about that. Yeah, and I loved, Lynn, I loved what you said about we're never too old and we're never too young, because that truly is the truth. You know, there are so many kids doing amazing things on this planet, so there is no shelf life, people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I just want to... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, 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 I just wanted to add one more thing. You know, last week I also, and this week, I just want to remind people about the potency of their mission, right? These things start off 
that last week and this week we talked about the inspired idea, we talk about the extreme fascination, and all of these things are born humbly. They are just really simple, tiny, humble ideas. But when people lean into them, when people allow whatever is inside of them to emerge, amazing things happened. And to me, these stories inspire me. These stories keep me <laughs> moving forward. And we get to see the potency and where you know people are being appreciated for their gifts and talents. They're being seen, heard, and acknowledged. They're making a difference in people's lives. They are you know providing for themselves. Uh, they're leaving powerful legacies. They are impacting so many lives. So this is what is available to us. When we lean into our missions, when we give ourselves permission to do that, when we allow ourselves to think beyond a career and are open to the possibility, and if we can do what Quincy did, which is lean into it, or as Craig did, or as Lynn Donahue did, just keep leaning into it, just taking one step at a time, amazing things can come off it. Yeah, I I love I love that because I I know for myself it can be so easy to be distracted and to doubt it. But every time I've lean, leaned into it and gone back, even with my art, um, just gone back, it's taken me somewhere that I that I don't know. You know, it always takes me to my next step. So I really appreciate um, hearing that that advice because it really is about because there I dealt with a lot of naysayers and people that were saying no 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 and I had to keep listening to my heart and saying yes 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 in spite of it all um, and then the more I leaned in the more I saw that it it started to become me it started to drive me versus me trying to to drive it so thank you for that yeah, well, reminder. I love what you said about the heart because that is so important because, yes, there generally are a lot of naysayers because sometimes they, they don't see what you see or feel what you feel. And so when people are saying no on the outside, it's really important to go within. It's really important to keep listening to the heart. It's really important to keep leaning into that and trusting that. And, yes, it takes courage. It really does. But just know that there are many people who have gone before you, and I just want to encourage people to keep listening to their hearts and keep mm-hmm. trusting. Right, and it is so, it's such a timely conversation because in, in view of what we were talking about in the beginning with people in the pause and people actually slowing down and stopping during this time and not even knowing what to do, like, I'm starting to hear people even say that they're bored, but what they're doing is they're going beyond their boredom and finding something to do. And so there's a really big opportunity for us all to really take that time to connect into our hearts in even greater ways. And it's almost like in some way I think the universe created this to give us that that space or that time so that we can connect because it's so easy in this world that's so fast-paced to lose sight of it. So it really feels like a, a very pr- 
even though it's a very intense um, time in some way, it's also so precious because it's allowing us to connect sometimes for the first time in who we really are and what we're meant to do and who we're meant to be. So this, go ahead. No, absolutely. I concur with you. It's, it, it's giving us time to, to, to listen, to, to be, to hear our inner voice. Yeah, so I know we have a little bit of time, Carol Ann, so I don't know what well, would you like to, is actually, there something you want to share? or? Well, actually, no, we've actually come to the end of our program. Oh, so, wow, yeah. that went fast. <laughs> yes, so thank you for joining me today. Is there anything else you would like to add, your final comments? No, I just want to say I'm very grateful for our time together and remembering that we all make a difference. And I just so appreciate you for sharing your wisdom, Carol Ann, and for just keeping this conversation alive. Um, It really inspires me, and I leave here every week just feeling, feeling better. So, again, thank you. And thank you, Lynn. And to the rest of our audience, keep gathering the clues to your mission possible. This week, reflect on the following. Do you have an extreme fascination? Is there something wanting to emerge because of it? Lean into it. And I leave you with this quote by Panache Desai. You have a divine calling. It's your life purpose, your life's purpose. And something deep inside is relentlessly urging you to uncover its nature and then live it to your highest potential. Again, that's a quote by Panache Desai. This has been the Mission Possible program. I'm your host, Carol Ann Fernandez. Stay healthy, stay safe. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to Mission Possible program. Please join your host, Carol Ann Fernandez, for another edition of the program next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until the next show, we wish you the best week ahead.